and welcome back to the Women in Business Ask for More podcast. I'm your host, Zara Janjua, and this is brought to you by the Royal Bank of Scotland. Over the past decade, the term disrupt became synonymous with innovation and success. From IT, social media and the digital world to manufacturing, medicine and transport, disruptive innovation is on the rise. 3D printing, for example, is already having a massive impact on the manufacturing industry, while the cryptocurrency revolution is well underway with the use of PayPal, Bitcoin and contactless payments. Space travel is perhaps the final frontier of disruptive innovation. And it's already happening. Whether it's Elon Musk's trips to Mars or Richard Branson's asteroid mining, the galactic marketplace is open for business. On this week's episode, I'm speaking to some dangerous women in tech, Vicky Brock and Sarah Stenhouse. We focus on the technology industry and discuss some of the biggest disruptors of the last five years. Later, we look at five key disruptors before revealing how you can shake up your industry. First today, Vicky Brock is a self-confessed geek. She's an entrepreneur and data pioneer and was named Scotland's most inspiring business person of the year in 2017. She won Innovator of the Year in 2014 and her previous company was named Top Technology Startup in Europe by the European Commission. She's now an entrepreneur agony aunt with her own podcast and blog and she also has a few new ventures I hear. I have indeed, yes. I'm doing two at once, um, although full-time CEOing and executing Vistalworks, which is my new consumer protection software company. Ooh, so what does that do? So we're protecting online shoppers from the harm from fake, smuggled, banned, withdrawn products, which seem to be popping up all over the online marketplaces and social networks right now. And people are really exposed to dangerous chemicals and rip-off products without realising what they're buying. So we're trying to warn and protect them for that and protect their money. And would that be working with um, online shopping companies or would, would they use the services or would it be consumers individually? It's aimed at consumers, but it would always be free to consumers. Mm -hmm. So we would see our paying markets as being... Yes, the marketplaces themselves trying to do the right thing for their customers. Um, the banks and payment providers trying to reduce the amount of fraudulent transactions. And then enforcement agencies like the police and trading standards who have a regulatory responsibility to keep shoppers safe. Well, I for one love this because a couple of weeks ago I did buy a knockoff perfume by accident online. So this could save me in future. Oh, yeah. And it could save all the... You don't even want to know the gross things in that knockoff perfume. So I hope it didn't go too close to your skin. I kind of do now, to be yeah. perfectly honest. <laughs> well, another self-confessed geek, Sarah set up Oodles in 2015 as a Scottish alternative to iStock and Shutterstock. In 2017, she was one of Insider's 20 Women to Watch. And in the same year, she was a finalist in Deloitte's Disrupt the Enterprise awards a really impressive backstory Sarah but what does Oodles do because I know that Shutterstock and um, iStock are obviously where we get stock photography because I worked in media and for a long time was using them but what is it that Oodles do uh, yeah so thanks for having me on the show today Oodles is essentially a marketplace for finding and licensing content exclusively from Instagram 
So the, the difference from us from the larger stock sites is there's a specific type of photographer who will submit generally to these larger uh, stock photography websites. They're, they're normally um, seasoned photographers. They know a type of aesthetic and a, a kind of generalist overview of images so that they can be downloaded multiple, multiple times. And when that happens, you, you lose authenticity, you lose localization, and it, it just becomes like a, a just melting pot of images and videos that can be downloaded and used everywhere. So what we're trying to do is give access to social media content, in particular Instagram. Uh, and I, I'm going to assume most of us use Instagram. There's 80 million images uploaded every single day. We're doing a bit of an analysis on our database at the moment, and the majority of our content seems to be coming from um, Asia-specific regions, which is amazing because there's a, a, an actual lack of that being represented on stock photography websites. Um, yeah, and the, the the byproduct of using something that's more authentic is that you are then able to put that in your campaigns and it relates more to your consumers, which then relates in a higher conversion rate of your, your marketing efforts. I absolutely love this because quite often if you do Google, it's quite funny Googling certain things and looking at stock photography, particularly women eating salads, because they all find them really hilarious. <laughs> and it yeah, just it's not yeah. real it's a really sad day <laughs> when you have to women doing online shopping at their computers like with this look of ecstasy on their face yeah. by their laptop yeah is that what yeah. you google to find uh -huh. the image <laughs> it seems to be the images available oh yeah there's loads but it, but it, i mean i think we are as a, as a society moving towards a more realistic view of the world and we don't want to see that ideal we want to see ourselves don't we so it just makes sense but certainly you are a disruptor in this industry and you came up, came in and did something, you solved this problem, which many people had been annoyed about for a long time, many people have been looking for a solution for, and here you are, you've created Oodles. Um, but you said that it started um, when you were in university, that, that's kind of where this initially came from, and actually you were going through something at the time. Yeah, so um, I, I think it planted the seeds, the idea, when I was in a, a university, where you know, there's a lot of pressures when you're studying. I am not the most academic person in the world. I did manage to finish my degree. I don't know how, but I did. Um, and at that point in my life, I kind of started to experience mental health um, struggles, um, anxiety, that sort of um, common thing that I shouldn't well experience. And from that, I started to take more of an interest in, in marketing and communications and then I ended up going back to uni uh, again <laughs> after the first stint and uh, I got my master's in marketing um, and then I moved into an advertising agency where I was tasked with finding images for a Father's Day campaign um, and all the, the, the models were beautiful, like beautiful, beautiful people, uh, bright white teeth, blonde hair and as much as I would love to have my family look like that, <laughs> they don't look like that. Uh, and I love them for their flaws and you know, I, if, when I see those flaws I can see them in my own, my own life uh, and the only way you can find that unique content is from Instagram or other social networks because that's people are just sharing their daily lives. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not the commercial point of view in the back of their head when they're taking a picture, uh, a photograph. It's it's looking just at, is this a, a nice moment I want to share with my family and my friends? So how that tied in to the mental health um, kind of uh, backstory that you mentioned there was if you look on any type of website where it talks about uh, business women, uh, some of the larger agencies are particularly bad for this. Um, I'm meant to be a size eight. I'm meant to have blonde hair, you know, glasses down my nose, bright red lips, um, and the majority of the time, quite sadly, is that there's a a, a man 
behind the women in our um and the images when it when it talks about business so yeah that to me i thought there's a better way we can we can give businesses access to images because mm-hmm. there's always going to be a need for businesses to communicate via visuals um so that's yeah that really fed into i mean it is really damaging though seeing these con- these images constantly being reinforced and i mean what you said there having a man in the background as if we can't be alone we can't stand alone in business um I mean, Vicky, you also experienced something yourself, didn't you, a few a few years back? Um, well, so this is my Thistleworks is now my fifth startup. Um, my third one, you know, the one probably that the one all the awards and the investment and and kind of had the high highs, also had the lowest lows that came with that. Um, and then, but I mean, a lot of that was down to exhaustion. I, I worked out. At the point that I um, was, at, at the point that I got resigned, I worked out I'd worked twenty thousand. Uh, I'd worked twenty thousand hours in just under five years, which worked out I think seventeen point eight hours a day. That's insane. Seven days a week, three hundred sixty-five days a year. And at the end of that, now I, I I start companies. I am an entrepreneur because I believe it is the way to achieve economic independence. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the way to have self-determination. But sometimes you can be trapped within that. Sometimes you have relationships with investors, you have relationships with your board, and the very reason that you became an entrepreneur, the very reason you became a founder, you know, you get boxed in, and that has an emotional and a mental health and a physical health impact. And I kind of went year after year more and more and more scared of failing, more and more scared that I wasn't living up to being the poster child I was made out to be. And interestingly, you know, the fear of failing and the fear of not being able to live up to your own image was way, way worse. That fear of failing and the fear of not living up to your own image was way worse than the reality of failing. It's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Because um, there's so many people that rely on you. Yeah, but also there's an awful lot of people with their own agendas who've literally bought a slice of you. Um, And that is where sometimes, you know, particularly when you've raised money, particularly when you're on the old investment loop, which tends to come with technology, tends to come with disruptive businesses. Um, You know, there are other forces at play and that can become quite toxic. So, yeah, I I kind of got to the point where... um, I couldn't go on the way the way it was, um, and I walked I walked away from that business in, in one form or another, and I had quite a long period where I was on gardening leave. I was restricted. I couldn't work, um, and so that was actually a really helpful process to think about when next time, what I do next, what is that? What are the values going to be behind that? What do I want that type of company to be? How do I want to fund that? What will I work on? What won't I work on? Who do I want around me? And you were forced to take that time to take stock and, and to... Yeah, I mean, I had restrictive agreements that meant I couldn't I couldn't do what I knew how to do mm-hmm. for a best part of a year. I had to sort of sit there and wait before I could start my next one. But now you are an agony aunt. And, and actually, one thing we discovered recently... <laughs> that wasn't recently... in my legal agreement, you see. I could actually do that. Being an entrepreneur is, is difficult. And 
bless my friends like they're all very much behind me and, and backing me and my family but there's a lot of times that there's just not the understanding of the pressures and the commitments and the exhaustion and sometimes you do just need to phone somebody that gets it and just listen you know and I think that's you know anyone who's listening to this uh, who is in a similar situation to Vicky and I will have done the same thing they maybe not want to admit it but 90% of people have probably done it on, on that account. and it's important that you do mm-hmm. I mean I think what the difference between you know that that period where actually it was psychologically and physically too much mm-hmm. was I did not have time in my life even for my friends though I did not have anybody to talk to or I did not allow myself to have anybody to talk to I was literally working every moment I was awake and there wasn't any space left to talk to anybody else and I think that's probably why then I ended up doing you know I did the, the agony on thing as a podcast and, and as a blog whilst I couldn't actually do any of the things I knew how to do. By the way, amazing. One of the the talks that you did with Mark Logan, you know, I just sat and watched that on repeat. It really helped. But you are amazing, you know, and I think that that's one thing that makes you who you are is that you are finding ways around your situation and actually that's probably what makes you so good at being being a businesswoman and especially being in the technology industry Mm -hmm. where there's so much change and you're having to adapt constantly. One of the things um, I read recently and I wanted to put this to you both get your reaction was that Scotland's tech sector is growing and when it comes to gender inclusion it leads the UK with women making up to 20% of the workforce. Vicky do you think that's why the sector is thriving? 20% is rubbish I mean like it's completely (laughs) insanely embarrassing I mean what the hell it wasn't that bad when like I was at school um uh, it wasn't as bad when I was at school a million and ten years ago um but uh look i mean i think you 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 put the nail on the head there where you say we find ways around things Mm -hmm. i mean i just honestly it's not that i break the rules i'm just completely oblivious to them (laughs) and it's like it's not that i'm out trying to well i am now trying to change stuff but i mean i'm trying to prove a point and change stuff now Mm -hmm. but at this time i didn't i wasn't even aware of the Mm -hmm. But restrictions. You, you don't think that there should be much um, weight given to the difference in gender equality in, in the in the industry, do you? Or well, you've certainly not experienced. Yeah, it. I just think you know if you're going to have, for example, like a competition, I, I I wouldn't be inclined to go for a competition that was just women only. If there was a a male category type thing as well, you know, I'd like both the sexes to come in and compete because why, why my business is not any less than what a man's business is and I don't see it like that I just look at somebody else's business I don't look at the founder's gender I don't really no you don't but I've you know I've been in the room when you've pitched and I've seen it from the other side yeah and I think now yeah. things been highlighted to me like I I've just been completely oblivious to it and I don't know if that's maybe just grown up with different that's uh, been a blessing as yeah, well perhaps for you yeah definitely ways. I never saw it I never, it never became apparent to me until I raised money. And then, like, when you raise money, it, like, just becomes brute. The, the, the rules of, the rules of what you can and can't say seem to go out of the window when you're talking to a CEO or when you're talking to somebody raise money. I mean, I've been asked everything from, like, you know, are you planning to have babies to are to you too old to have babies to like whatever no, like, really? all you know all of this stuff that in no other scenario wow. that you would be asked i mean in my, in my previous business had a female chair 
And I was the CEO, female chair, and I had a guy who came to a meeting, to potential partnership. So I was the decision maker. He was selling to me, rang me up afterwards to complain that my chair was very aggressive. And he's like, okay, right. You, you're calling a female CEO to complain that the female chair was aggressive. You know, do you usually do this after meetings? Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, like... So do you feel like he was emasculated in some way and yeah, felt the need to yeah, but put that right? I think, I mean, I completely agree with you, Sarah. I I hate the, just like the women in, like, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the women in tech or the women in this for the sake of it. Because it's like, often it's treated as the little league, you yeah. know? Oh, Let's yeah, put yeah, the yeah. women over Similar there. Similar to sport, look at football, for example. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I can't stop and being yeah. described as a woman That's entrepreneur. Like, it's like, like entrepreneur is not a gendered word. It's like, yeah. I'm a freaking entrepreneur. But I wonder whether that's there to help enforce it because I, and I'm just playing devil's advocate with this because I do wonder whether enforcing that someone is and highlighting it makes it more accessible. It makes it more visible. So I, I yeah, so I have this conflict. So I am a Women's Enterprise Scotland ambassador but I think women's enterprise is different to a woman entrepreneur mm-hmm. as, as a label because actually there's a lot of women who don't regard themselves as business leaders. They mm-hmm. don't regard mm-hmm. themselves as entrepreneurs. They don't take themselves seriously as businesses. Nobody takes them seriously. Mm-hmm. And they, they're they not working in a sexy subject like tech. Mm-hmm. I mean, we tend mm-hmm. to be like at the top of the pyramid of privilege, I think, frankly, mm-hmm. in that we're doing like sexy tech stuff. But, you know, I come across all sorts of people running really profitable, unsexy businesses in agriculture, in food, in all sorts of things, and they don't get the visibility. So mm-hmm. on one hand, I'm really proud to talk about women's enterprise because yeah. I think it needs the visibility. On the other hand, I get... I have to, I spend more and more time trying to unpick the agenda of why I'm being invited to do something mm-hmm. or why you want me on your panel. Mm-hmm. To, because you feel it's I do sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's mm-hmm. like, let's have the women in whatever panel and mm-hmm. put them over there and then let's have the real conference. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the stuff I actually increasingly want to just kind of blow up. As women working in media, I've certainly noticed mm-hmm. that I've not been part of a boys club and that that's excluded me from putting forward ideas uh-huh. for programmes that mm-hmm. quite often they would come in the next day and they'd been at the pub the night before, they'd discussed the whole show and it didn't matter that I'd spent an, an hour or two hours the night before after the programme researching ideas and content. They didn't want to know. They had a few drinks and they decided to come up with the whole show the night before. So I didn't have input. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it really hard getting through to that. And I think maybe over my life, especially being you know in front of the camera, based on how I look, the things I wear, um, even to some extent what, what I say is judged more. And, you know, Vicky, you touched earlier on um, investment, really, mm-hmm. and, and that is one of the biggest areas of business where we do see the differences. Less than 1% of VC funding goes to all female teams. It's just mm-hmm. in- yeah. incredible. And there's been a lot of statistically robust quantitative research done where mm-hmm. they've put out the same pitch deck and the same proposals and the same financials out and they've put a male or a female name on it, or indeed, an, you know, a female um, minority ethnic name on it, which is even more disastrous. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've done a lot of research when a woman is pitching, what questions does she get asked versus what questions a man gets and asked. And it's amazing, isn't yeah, it? So women yeah. get asked preventative questions, which are all about, like, all the ways they're going to mess it up. 
So, you know, all things about risk, you know, well, yeah, but when are you going to run out of money? Or like, actually, how how are you going to make this profitable? And, and uh, you know, are you sure you're not being excessive with mm-hmm. the number of people you're planning to hire? I got that one last week. Um, and <gasps> then men are asked, like, how big can this be? Yeah. Are you thinking big enough? Are mm-hmm. you raising enough mm-hmm. money? Like, you know, how, how are you going to scale this? How are you going to so grow? How are you going to take over the world? These oh, yeah, yeah. I'm G- still but being given asked your this. success and where you are and who you are, there, I mean, honestly, when I began researching you, there's so much noise about you online. It is insane. Well, you, I, you know, you, you honestly, you've got so you much get credibility. To the point that you ask, what do I have to do? And the answer is, you know what? That's the wrong question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, I don't care. Yeah, but I was, I was about to say, like, I, I, yeah, I, am I think, me do you know what, I've not, I've not got me. time in my day to stand there and, like, analyse the questions for the judges and then sit and then, you know, listen to the questions that are being asked to guys. Like, I don't care. I'm going to do me. I'm going to yeah. work on my business. I'm going to make it profitable. I'm going to hire tons of people, hopefully. And that's all that matters yeah. to me. I am and going to demonstrate my success while I disappear over the horizon. Yeah. <laughs> You're still watching my dust. Exactly. I feel like yeah. we should have, if there was an audience here right now, you'd be getting a massive round of applause for that one. <laughs> <But> <laughs> and I'm hoping at home it's you're like, applauding to uh, that. Enough with yeah. the training the women. Enough with the fixing the women. Enough yeah. with the, here's how to like turn all of that mm-hmm. around. It's like, you know what? stuff it trying to find a way of saying that without really swearing (laughs) (laughs) what i do love however is that uh you mentioned sexy tech Uh and this is what you're both you consider you both to be in is sexy tech now i will be completely honest that i am not a techie in the slightest um so it's taken me a lot of research to wrap my head around ai and what you're doing and the future of this but i certainly can see the technology industry is where the big changes have been in the last five years and certainly next year and into the next five that's where there's going to be a lot of noise and we're going to see um, a lot of new inventions new businesses what have been some of your favorite disruptors in the last five years vicky oh contactless payment (laughs) Oh, it's so good, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like, literally, I can't remember any of my PIN numbers anymore. <laughs> and I tap, I think I tap my card onto the really, like, my front door, probably. And, like, for me, contactless payment has been totally wonderful. Now, Kyle now go, I'm spending quite a lot of time, I'm sure we'll come back to this, in Estonia. And I, I kind of literally love the fact that you can travel around Europe now. I'd, like... I never have any currency. <laughs> just I never have any money, and I just. <laughs> and so, what would you? Do, how would you describe a disruptor? I suppose, I would. The type of disruption I personally aspire to, is that if if I took it away, there'd be riots. Or if I took it away, mm-hmm. like in B two B world, which is my world, if I took it, if I took my technology away, or the budget for that technology went away the team would like save up their own money in order to be able to fund it because it's like so absorbed now into their life that the the pain of giving it up is is worse than like you know you put so much of yourself into now like absorbing this technology Mm -hmm. the pain of giving it up would be really annoying Mm -hmm. and say that how would you then describe or explain what disruption is yeah, I think it's in the same vein of what Vicky said there. You know, it's changing behaviour. So being able to go into a shop and 
having to stick your card in the reader and then moving to like now you just expect contactless. I was the same. Like even uh, going around New York in the in the start of the year, um, and their contactless payments don't be, seem to be as good as the UK <laughs> for some reason. Mm. Why was this on the underground? Yeah, I mean, you can use just... obviously in London you can use Oyster. Yeah, that's not the same in New York. I don't know why. I've just assumed it's it's great out there. Yeah. Um, but that's like a, that's a change in behaviour, right? Because before you'd go up to your ticket machine and you know, sit and get your, your cards out. But I, I th- for me, I think the biggest example of that is imagine saying to somebody that you're going to host randomers in your house. Like Airbnb, that is unreal. <laughs> so to, like, it's 2007 hits. It sounds like such a bad idea. Who wants strangers in the I house? I know, I know. And then it just takes for something to change in the market where you know, the it was a financial crisis and everyone needed to make a bit of extra cra- cash and mm. they were there in the right time. Yeah. Um, and yeah so I've been to like two or three countries this year I'm not even bothered looking at a hotel because I just know it's going to be far too expensive or you know it's just going to be a bit faceless and then I just my goal something lovely about being in someone else's home and looking at the books that they have and you know seeing their setup and and they'll leave you like a little book you know instruction instruction manuals they'll leave like I think we got a bottle of wine in Paris that was cool (laughs) (laughs) everyone's got their own little personal touch You're listening to Royal Bank of Scotland's Ask for More podcasts, presented by me, Zara Janjua. I do think that quite, when you introduce something new or when you do solve a problem, there's a real fear that exists in the industry. Um, and it's that sort of fear of change, which is why I described you as, as um, I was going to say difficult women, definitely not difficult. Oh, I'll, be, be I'll take that. Dangerous I'm, and difficult. Yeah, same. I will be that. that on a t-shirt. That, yeah, let's go. Dangerous, ahead. difficult and a bit grubby. I think you are dangerous women. And it's for that reason. Everyone in your industry will we'll definitely consider you dangerous and you know you look at it across various industries I'll, I'll liken it with television you know there was before everything was digitized producers used to love having their program on a on a reel and, and they used to have a physical copy of it and had their name on it and there was real resistance to that change when when it started to when the, when the industry started to develop because they loved just having that it was an emotional attachment and you know when you look at the benefits that that exist with digitizing footage it just seems pointless to ever entertain that, but ultimately there, there are these sort of emotional connections as well that we have. But that's a known thing, that changing the behaviour is the hardest thing to do. And so I, when I'm thinking about what my next big idea is going to be, I actually go through that process to figure out who cares and who cares enough. Who cares enough to pay? Who cares enough that even if I can only make the problem 10 15% less rubbish they still care enough that that slight improvement is going to improve your life so much that you would invest your time energy and emotion in changing behavior Mm because it's the hardest thing to do and 99% of my ideas Mm -hmm. are never gonna achieve that and so they get scrapped you see it with apps quite a lot don't you where you might be using an app let's say to track your your um, fitness or your your um, calorie intake or you know if you're doing trying to do a diet if you're doing keto there's ways of tracking on on apps and there's always just something that doesn't work and the second there's a new app that fixes that problem everyone migrates and they you know we've got no loyalty on apps (laughs) whatsoever yeah but like the best ones are hitting something very they're hitting a pain a pain that 
a certain group have and they're they're hitting the sweet spot right in the middle of it and fixing that little thing so you know and I, I gave up drinking about 18 months ago and I used an app for that and there was a couple of things in it that really I mean I I only paid like four pounds for it, but but still, I never pay for apps, so four pounds was an awful lot of money. Um, but it was my intention that I kept with it, and mm. it was because it was telling me how much money I hadn't spent, oh, and it great. was telling me why it was okay that I was feeling as rubbish as I was. It's like what yeah. people do when they're stopping smoking. Yeah, as well. it yeah. I, I'm laughing because I also paid ninety pence for an app to try and stop drinking as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a theme here, and I never pay for apps. This is the wrong time of year to be having these discussions, really. but. Well done, because, you know, it's a big thing. And talking about changing behaviours, that's a big thing to change. So, you know, congratulations, Vicky. Well done. done. Um, Do you look at the the threats that exist in your industry? How often are you doing that sort of SWOT analysis where you're looking at what exists in your your industry? And are you scared of it? If any startup founder is saying that they've got time to look at what's going on at other companies, then you need to, uh, you drive yourself insane. You need to just stay in your own lane and focus on your core offering. Don't try and add bells and whistles I've done it and you end up doing it terribly you know (laughs) I'm laughing as you say this because we were literally dragging you off your laptop to bring you in (laughs) to do this I do it at the beginning right so I look at I look at a pre-startup phase so the beginning I do all the existential analysis Mm -hmm. is before I start so with with Vistaworks um me and my two co-founders we spent four months doing all the research all the validation pretty much full-time we worked for four months with some stakeholders to see if there was a business there and then we started the company we registered the company at the end of that four-month process and then we went very very quickly you know by that time I knew what the competitive landscape looked like I understood the customer deeply I check in on the customer all the time competitors that's they'll always be there if you're in a healthy market if you're doing something right, competitors are a positive yeah. sign. Yeah, it's a positive sign. Um, the only one, um, you know, is, is externalities, I can't worry about because I can't do anything about them. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. need to be ready yeah, to react. Yeah, you need to be aware react of mm-hmm. well, to. In terms of measuring disruption, there are, the, say, five key um, disruptors. And um, they are government regulations, competition, customers, production and distribution. But from what you've just said it's only really then the government regulations that are the ones that concern you Vicky. Yeah government regulations just concern me the most because they can be pretty existential like if if a law comes out you know banning what you do you've got only got two choices you get out of the geography or you get out of the market I mean (laughs) if you don't have a lot of options there um this Distribution is an interesting one um, because that is where you can have like private companies acting a bit like government. So, mm-hmm. you know, if Facebook decides to squish you, that mm-hmm. is distribution. Yeah. But they're acting like they're acting like a government. Mm-hmm. And the effect is like that. How is your Estonian coming along, Vicky? <laughs> <laughs> and so, I ask this, this is a loaded yeah. question. Am I allowed to say the B word? <laughs> so my Estonian is terrible. However, I am a proud Estonian. Well, I'm an Estonian e-resident. Have set up an Estonian company and an Estonian bank account in response to regulation. Um, my company 
connects into several key European databases. So we use the European Chemical Agency's data feed. Um, we have to be an EU company to do that. Um, and I was so worried about Brexit, there I've said it, have. that um, I felt like I needed to be able to trade. I needed the certainty that I had an EU company and an EU address. Um, so I made sure that that happened. But that was like, you know, how do I respond? I Absolutely. either get out of the market or I get out of the geography. So I've, I've not got out of the geography. I've, I've gone into two geographies at once and I basically started up in multiple geographies simultaneously, mm -hmm. which I wouldn't have done, but I think that's a great opportunity. Without that, I would have just done the UK first, probably spent two, three years too long mm -hmm. just looking at the UK and then thought about Europe, whereas I've had to think about both simultaneously. But it certainly seems that in the landscape politically at the moment in the UK, that's the biggest threat as far as you're concerned within your industry. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else I, I can think my way around, that is the biggest. I Yeah, yeah it's a big one. Well, mm -hmm. I'm going to come and visit you in Estonia. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> but this is weird. Um, apparently you have lots of naked meetings and saunas. The first time I was Sorry, there, what? the first time I was there, lots of people invited me to That's meet not a meeting, Becky. Well, this is what I thought. So my first visit, I really thought Estonian men were like really outrageous. They kept inviting me to meetings and saunas and I was like, what? have I walked into. So I quite offendedly turned all these meetings down. Then I was talking to some Estonian ladies here in uh, Edinburgh, and I said like, what is this with these weird men? And they're going, she's going, you should have gone to the meetings. Everybody has their meeting, like the, the, the sauna is socially leveling. All, all good things occur in a sauna. And I, and yeah. I have to be naked in this meeting. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I'm going in a few weeks. It makes you feel very British. Oh, are you? I'm going back in a few weeks, and um, I've promised that I won't refuse all the sauna meetings. No. Flesh-coloured swimsuit. Just That's get what a good flesh-coloured. <laughs> I've got a sleeping bag. Extra sweat. Isn't it interesting the different customs and traditions, though? And when I when I do come and visit, it won't be for a business meeting. Just so you, just so we're clear. Um, but how wonderful! I can't wait to hear about this. You're gonna have to up, update uh, me on that. Yeah, yeah definitely thinking the sweatsuit, like ankle to chin sweatsuit. <laughs> I mean, I think being naked it's a big deal in in Britain, but yeah. I don't think other cultures consider it in the same way that we do. You know? Somebody Estonian who'd been to Glasgow explained to me, you know how like you go to meetings and you all swear, and you go to the pub and you all swear. <laughs> Most countries don't do that. No. <laughs> Saunas are your swearing. Like, okay. mm. well, I think I'll take the pub. <laughs> yeah. So how about your competition, though? Because, I mean, the tech industry is the most um, likely to experience a lot of disruption. How worried are you, Sarah, with, with your competition just now and what they're doing? Um, I don't think it's a, a means that my business stops with the competition. I actually see it as an opportunity partner because I'm offering something that they can't currently get access to or they're you know, they're they're trying to get access to at scale and maybe not quite achieving that yet. So yeah, like they they are obviously doing something quite similar to me, but it doesn't say that we can't speak and we can't share um, you know, a, a mission together. Uh, yeah, we're having quite a few talks um, f with other big libraries to see how we can actually channel our content into their offering because that's what their customers are looking for, we're something more authentic. That doesn't mean that I can't 
have um, oodles on its own direct service i mean that can totally still be there but that's still an opportunity as well to work with the larger libraries have you know i've got a, a lot more technology than us a lot more marketing budget um i've got the sales team the customer support you know it's, it's a good uh, situation for somebody that's just starting to get off the ground so so i mean a recent study showed that 86 percent of ceos think that customers will want more from products and services in the next five years, obviously in the tech industry. So most most people know that customers are already going, is that it? What else have you got? What else can we do? And I feel like that's where the innovation comes in. Is that something that you are looking at as well? Because it kind of the customers feel like the most important aspect of, of this, don't they? Well, they are. But for, I mean, for a lot of tech companies, they are an afterthought. Um, and actually, a lot of the way that the investment structure works in tech is that you kind of raise, 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 and you know, at some point, you'll make some money and figure out what your business model is and where the customer fits in and all this. And so actually, although you kind of think the customer should be at the center of this, it's not the normal model. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's, mo- it's something that absolutely drives us, and it's where you can be significantly less funded and scrappier and non-Silicon Valley and still win. I mean, I love competition as long as I win. I mean, that's great. <laughs> Unless, I'm the same. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a great loser, <laughs> to say the least. But, we'll play Scrabble then. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm really bad at that. Because I think that good words should have an extra bonus. I really get annoyed when people win with a rubbish word mm-hmm. it's just wrong how do you um, quantify a good word <laughs> is there an ai model for this <laughs> actually i could probably write that because i've probably got a model that would do that <laughs> yeah so you know you have if you have the customer at the heart of everything you're doing and you're obsessed with them instead of all the other stuff around you mm-hmm. you've got a chance of winning on the right measures regardless of what everybody else does yeah. and regardless of the funding position now, when it comes to production, um, how likely is it that the technology that both your companies use to produce the products will change in the next five years? Oh, five years is such a long cycle. Yeah, I think you think that's long and that's oh, long yeah. in the tech world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, if you look at Skyscanner, for example, they first started off on an Excel spreadsheet, and it only took them, you know, a couple of years ago, where they actually moved fully off that Excel spreadsheet. So. Uh, what I would say to people who are, are listening to this podcast and maybe thinking about a tech business, don't get too caught up in the technology because how it's going to work now, it will not function yeah. when you've got a huge amount of users on it or, you know, you're getting to the stage where your servers are buckling. And there's so, so much stuff you don't have to build. I mean, yeah. even between like, mm-hmm. so the, the company, you know, company number three that I did, well, that that was, I founded that in 2012. And at that point in time, we had to build all the front end. So we had to build dashboards. And we you know, it had to have programmers whose job it was to make graphs look nice. You know, now I don't have anybody that does that. And we just plug it into so, yeah. you know, we plug it into mm-hmm. pre existing mm-hmm. tools, many of which are free. Yeah. And that whole aspect of it yeah. is something that I do not have mm-hmm. to build. I think this ties into the competition question you asked as well. Like we are really much in an API economy where everybody wants to have a tool that works with another tool. Um, you know, so like our whole like sales funnel is automated right now. So we like have our CRM working with our email campaign. And- so are you now designing to collaborate with that in mind? 
Yeah, I like we have like a a, a work based messenger system called Slack. Mm, and it's just so great to cut through your emails with notifications. You know that something it, you've had a new user sign up or you've had a new sale and it's not been lost in your emails because that's just crazy. My email box, I don't even want to think about it. It gives me the fear. Yeah, sometimes looking at my inbox when there's any more than say twenty <laughs> messages that I've not read, I start to panic. <laughs> I mean, what it means is that the cost of entry and the speed of entry comes down and down and down. In some ways, it's what, sh in some ways, it's much cheaper, easier, and efficient to disrupt than it ever was, because a lot of the tool set is there. But then the flip side of that is it actually means that standing out amongst that, have having a problem that's actually worth solving, mm -hmm. having solving it for somebody who cares, becomes harder because there's so much noise. And I, I particularly kind of feel that I hate the idea of doing another one of you know, something that's already 20 of. Mm -hmm. That would be a cheap, easy, efficient start mm -hmm. to do. And you'd probably get, you probably would get a business out of that. But that for me is not disruption. But the tool set is there. That means I think anybody, regardless of whether you're technical or from a technical background or not, regardless really of whether you describe yourself as technical or not, could build a disruptive technology company. So I would like to know what both of you think will happen in the future. This is a bit mystic Meg now, um, but really it's just so that whatever you say I can go and invest in and make some money yeah. off. But <laughs> if you were to make even a future projection for like next year or the year after, mm -hmm. in a very short term, what, what things do you think are really going to take off or what would you like to see coming into the industries? I would like to see something come into industry that would make getting access to the right people for your, your startup. I think that's been the biggest challenge for me is, is definitely been the human element of it. Um, and especially now we don't quite know what's going to happen with the looming... <laughs> <laughs> break up uh, <laughs> I won't say the word the apocalypse yeah but there's already been a drastic um, decrease in applications from European candidates uh, mm -hmm. it's quite obvious that the UK doesn't have enough people with digital skill sets so I've, I've really I think it'll be really interesting to see if more companies take up the remote working situation or you know having multiple offices um uh, you know i'm not as uh, fortunate as uh, vicky to have an estonia <laughs> office but yeah some... just need a sauna yeah just, yeah 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 so yeah that's something that i'm looking for is how to get access to people yeah and, and what about you, Becky, what would you so say? i think my view of the future is a little bit more dystopian i think there's we, we have so much innovation coming through so quickly that I think a lot, and I suppose this is what I'm working on myself as an aspect of this, is there's so many unintended consequences of what we do. The more our houses become full of internet of things, devices, the more automation is, the more AI there is, the more places our data becomes critical is engagement, the more scope there is for stuff to go horribly wrong in ways we haven't thought of. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'm probably interested right now in all the places. I wish we could be preventative, but unfortunately, um, it doesn't work like that. So I, I, I feel there's 
I probably Problem the next of my the rest of the businesses for the whole of the rest of my life will be mopping up the uh, <laughs> mistakes and unintended <laughs> consequences of the current wave of innovation. I do like that when I asked you that both you clearly come from a technology background and that's where you're you're thinking. I mean, I've really been trying to wrap my brain thinking what would I what what's going to be the big thing next year? You know, what what could I see? And I mean, ultimately, the, the environment's becoming so much more important. It's becoming you know so important in everyone's consciousness i think that you know in terms of food production we're going to see lots of changes there but i also recently discovered pistachio butter and i know that certainly in my life that's going to be a big thing next year that's the biggest invention um, now i do want to know if anyone could um if anyone's listening to this and they think they would really like to shake up their industry how do they do that um well i think that it depends. I think you, A, there's a process for this, which is you need uh, to distill a few messages that are your messages. You need to find some champions. You need to find some amplifiers and you need to say your same messages over and over and over and over again until you're sick of them, but they're getting amplified through. And I'd actually pick your fight. Pick your fight. I mean, you can't disrupt an industry. You can find one thing in that like, you really want to blow up. Focus on that get a few messages, get some champions, get some amplification and just keep saying it until you're sick of it. Yeah, so I, I, literally you've just said everything that I was going to say but, and a lot more articulate. <laughs> well, it must be right. It must well, be right. Yeah, I think like if I think back to the very start of what I was doing, I was so secretive about this idea. I didn't want to tell anyone because I was like, oh, someone's going to steal it and do it or, you know, what if somebody laughs? Maybe it's a stupid idea. Just go out and talk to people. Talk to people you think might be your customers. Talk to people who you think might use it. Um, just get the, the idea out there and get feedback. Don't start going down a route of um, a very enclosed space. You've wasted weeks of your time, hopefully not a lot of money. Uh, and, you know, nobody wants it in the end. That's the, the main thing. It seems like from what both of you have been saying, though, it's ultimately finding a problem and fixing it. Oh, yeah. So look for those gaps, look for those niche areas and look for the things that I'm are annoying people. I'm much more interested in pain than joy. <laughs> pain is generally where disruption lives so yeah. look for pain says vicky brock <laughs> um, i'd love to know what have you both got coming up next year vicky what's coming up in 2020 for you um i'm hoping world domination um you I'm know you. it's everything it's this whole process of entrepreneuring founding ceoing is just permanent plate spinning so you know you've always got like 10 plates on the go at, at once and it's actually quite um, hard to look up long enough to, I mean actually I think I'm in 2020 already I keep forgetting <laughs> I keep thinking I am your future self yeah um, execution basically don't run out of money don't drop the plates and go very quickly uh, yeah so pretty, pretty much the same as we're probably the worst to be together on this podcast um, yeah so th definitely thinking about cash flow making sure we, we don't run out of cash we're a startup um, not that there's there's sight of that happening yet um, also just really focus on getting content onto the platform mm -hmm. just get as many Instagram users signed up it's so easy to do it all you have to do is click a button and it pulls through your Instagram images like we do everything else in terms of like keywording and uh, the tagging of the of the images and the the, the getting like a, a higher res version so yeah. like it's just such a great way for people to make passive income uh, and it's just really trying to get that in the hands of well, everyone to hear about it essentially mm -hmm. 
I love that you've done a great plug as well. <laughs> well done, you got a great plug in. Now at the end, we always like to do a wee bit of biz inspo. Vicky, mm -hmm. do you have an inspo quote, motto, something you live by? I do. It's yeah. It's all about the execution. It's about making it happen. It's not about wasting your time trying to be perfect because perfect is inefficient. Let's get your head down and do it. Like, it's not about the greatest idea ever. It's about the one that got out of your head into the world and just got on with it. So you're very much about the action. Just um, do it. I am an action woman. <laughs> <laughs> and for yourself, Sarah. Vicky, I think you should go second because I'm just saying everything that you were <laughs> Uh, <laughs> right, I'm going to take what you've said and spin it in a different way. Um, definitely prioritise. So what I tend to do is that you, when you're a founder, there is a million trillion things that you need to be thinking. You're thinking, I need to do this tomorrow, I need to do that tomorrow, I need to do this today, I need to do this this hour. What I tend to do is just start off with the top three things that is absolutely integral to the business. I then go through my task list. If something is not going to make that happen faster or help towards those three things, out the task list or delegate somebody else. Uh, you just need to be absolutely ruthless at prioritising what you need to do. It's so important to manage your workload, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you both so, so much for being here today, Vicky Brock and Sarah Stenhouse. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, this has been really good fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Royal Bank of Scotland's Ask for More podcast, breaking down the barriers to women starting and running successful businesses.